of grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, today we've got that story of Jesus overturning the tables and the And this is a story a lot of people know, but often they know it for the wrong reasons. So before we get into the story, we need to get rid of three very common but very inappropriate ways of hearing it. And then after, I have to put the story in its context. Then we can look at what Jesus did and said and how it applies to us. Okay? So common ways of hearing First, some people hear this story as a justification for why they can get angry and lash out at people too. They see Jesus coming into the temple, flipping over tables, and basically throwing a big old divine temper tantrum. And they think, well, if it's okay for Jesus to act that way, then it's okay for me to act that way too. I'm allowed to lash out at people because Jesus did so. Not only that, but there is an English translation of the Bible that misinterprets the Greek and makes it sound like Jesus used the whip of cords to beat the people, not scare the animals away. Please don't think that Jesus promotes violence or physical abuse. Do not use this story or any part of Scripture to justify hurtful behavior against others. Jesus does not beat people or give permission for others to beat people. He does not have a temper tantrum and does not give you justification for having it. The second way people often hear this story is as a reason for why churches should never sell things. There should never be church rummage sales or auctions. Churches should never sell food like sub sandwiches to support their ministries. And youth should never sell Girl Scout cookies on church premises. Jesus saw people selling stuff at a holy site and got upset about it. So if you don't want Jesus to get upset at you, then don't sell stuff at church. Okay, yes, Jesus was upset at these particular people. But there was a specific set of circumstances going on. But don't think that gives churches a free pass to do whatever they want. Churches can still fall into the same trap of having those same circumstances. But they don't always do. And the third way that people sometimes hear this story is as a proof text for anti-Semitism. They claim that Jesus is the new temple, so the Jewish temple building is irrelevant. They think Christians are right, Jews are wrong, and that's just the way it is. Okay, yes, Christianity comes out of Judaism, but please, please, Please don't think Jesus is being anti-Jewish. He was Jewish. 
Yes, there's a connection between his body and the temple. But he is not being disrespectful of Jewish people. Instead, he's trying to help them. So then what is going on here? Well, as I said, before we can see why he did flip over the tables, we need to see why the, temples were, why the tables were there in the first place. We need to put all of this in its historical context. So the temple in Jerusalem was the place of sacrifice. It was different than the local synagogue. Synagogues were places of learning. There were synagogues all over the place. But there was only one temple, the one in Jerusalem. And that is where people went to give their animal sacrifices to God. So they were going there to do this religious duty. People would travel great distances to go to the temple, which was fine, right? That's what they were supposed to do. But if you're a pilgrim on your way to Jerusalem, there are some logistical issues you need to figure out. Like, how are you going to get your sacrificial animals there with you? Right? It's hard enough traveling on your own or with your family. Imagine how much more difficult it would have been to bring an animal or two along with you. People couldn't just put their animals in carriers and store them in the cargo pool of the airplane. They had to walk with them and take care of them and feed them and protect them all along the way. It was a lot of work. This is why there are animals at the temple. People could just buy them on site for the sacrifice. They don't need to bring their own with them. It was so much easier this way. Plus, they knew that these animals at the temple would be ritually acceptable. So there's nothing wrong with people buying or selling animals here. It's just what they did. Kind of a modern-day comparison might be when you rent a car on vacation. (laughs) If you drove to your destination, there'd be all kinds of logistical questions you'd have to figure out. How long is the drive? Where would you stop? Where would you buy gas? How much would the gas cost? (laughs) What would you do if your car broke down? All this kind of stuff, right? But if you decided to fly, then you could do the more convenient thing of just renting a car when you get there. You wouldn't have to worry about bringing your own car, but you would still have one. Right? So there's nothing inherently wrong with renting a car. Just like there's nothing inherently wrong with buying sacrificial animals on site. Even back in Jesus' day, people were thinking about convenience. As for the money changers, there was nothing wrong with them either. Actually, it was a good thing that they were there. When people bought these animals at the temple, or when they paid their temple tax, they had to use Jewish money. Because Roman money had the image of Caesar on it, which was considered a graven image. Those things weren't allowed in the temple. So the money changers were there to... Well, change the money. 
Think if you've ever traveled to another country, right? You had to exchange your American dollars for the local currency. It's the same deal, right? They were exchanging Roman money for Jewish money. This was a legitimate practice. So it was a good thing that the money changers were there. So the people are doing the acceptable thing of traveling to Jerusalem to offer an acceptable sacrifice to God. They're using acceptable animals that they bought with acceptable money. So there's nothing wrong with any of them. So then why did Jesus flip over the tables? He did so. Because it seems that the leadership at the temple had missed the point of what the temple was supposed to be about. Jesus said that they had turned his father's house into a marketplace. In other words, this scene is about misplaced priorities. Jesus was not having a divine temper Instead, he was being passionate. Our text translates the Greek word as zeal, but passionate might be better. Passionate people are those who feel strongly about a certain thing and speak out for it. This is what Jesus is doing for the temple. He knew the temple was supposed to be a house of prayer. It was supposed to be where people were focused on God. It was supposed to be the spiritual center of their world. But it's hard to do that if that's not the focus. The focus here seems to be on the buying and selling of animals, not on the worship of God. To say it another way, it's not wrong for people in churches to sell items to support a ministry or for individuals to sell Girl Scout cookies. But imagine if that was the only thing that people in churches did. Imagine if there was no focus on worship, scripture reading, sacraments, mutual support, serving your neighbor, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and all of that good stuff that we're actually called to do. Or worse, imagine if a church did those things, but it was only on the side and very sporadic. Clearly, the people there wouldn't see those things as a priority, even though that's what the church is called to do. In other words, the church is not a business. Yes, there are administrative aspects to it, but the purpose of a church is to tell people about Jesus, not be focused on selling stuff and making a profit. So you can sell things, just don't let that be your focus. When a church gets that wrong, then I can clearly imagine Jesus coming in and turning over to you. He would try to wake up that church and help them see that they're missing the point. 
Notice that he wouldn't be fighting against the church. He would be fighting for the church. If you call yourself a church, then you should be known for the things that a church is supposed to do. If you call yourself the temple, then you should be known for the things the temple is supposed to do. If you call yourself a disciple, then you should be known for the things a disciple is supposed to do. Basically, Jesus is calling them to corporate repentance. He is calling them to put their focus back on God. Well, when the leaders of the temple get mad, then they demand to know why Jesus is trying to change things. And Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The leaders basically laugh at him and say, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will rebuild it in three days? Well, of course, the gospel writer tells us that Jesus was talking about himself, not the physical building. And here is where you need to watch out for that anti-Semitic Jesus is not saying that he's going to unleash his God powers, destroy the temple, and then rebuild it the way it's supposed to be. Instead, he's actually giving a word of comfort to the original audience of this gospel. The Gospel of John was written around the year 100. So by the time it was written, the audience already knew about the destruction of the temple by the Romans in the year 7. So Jesus' statement about it being destroyed would have resonated with them. And they were also living on this side of the empty tomb, which means they knew about the resurrection too. So even though the temple building was no more, they knew that the tomb was still empty. Or, even though buildings collapse, Jesus is still alive. Even when bad things happen, Jesus still brings new life. Now that doesn't mean the temple building wasn't important. It just means that death and destruction are not the end for Jesus. Even when everything else crumbles around them, they can still hold on to him. But what about us? Why does all this matter for us? Well, because sometimes the things that you treasure end up falling apart. Whether it's a building or a relationship or the way you've always done things. And when that happens, like in this season of Lent, when we focus on repentance and strengthening our relationship with God, then we need to remember that Jesus is still here.
He knows all about change and destruction and death. But he is also the one who is stronger than sin, death, and the devil. Jesus is the one who died for you. He is the one who rose again for you on the third day. He is the one who is stronger than any change or tragedy that you might face. When things around you fall apart, Jesus always promises to bring you life. You can always hold on to him. So on the one hand, if it feels like Jesus is challenging your priorities and calling you to rethink things, then you should listen and repent. But on the other hand, when that happens, realize that he's doing it because he loves you. Think about parents who correct a child's behavior. You want that child to make better choices, not because you are against the child, but because you are for the child. That's what Jesus does here. He was calling the temple leadership to a life more focused on God because he loves them. That's what the temple is really about. That's what the church is really about. That's what being his disciples are really about. It's not about selling stuff or trying to make a profit. It's not about abusing others. It's not about thinking you're better than somebody else. Instead, it's about sharing the good news of God's life-changing love. No tragedy or trauma or death can stop Jesus from loving us. So now, we listen to him. We follow him. And we obey him. Because that's what the church does. In the name of this one who turns our world around, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.